Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Playing for quarterback this week. Um, Kyler's going to continue to ramp up. He'll take the one reps, and if the week goes well, he will start on Sunday. Um, so, pleased where he's at right now. We'll see how the week goes. Always pay attention to the facial expressions, the body language, the demeanor. There was a point there where he kind of touched the microphone as he was saying, if all goes well, he'll start on Sunday. I feel like there's not 100% consensus in the organization that it's even wise to put him on the field. They are in a tough spot because if he gets injured again, there are millions in injury guarantees that they won't be able to avoid, even if they decide after this season that they are no longer in the Kyler Murray business. And we're talking about a general manager and a coach who had nothing to do with the drafting of Kyler Murray nearly five years ago. And yes, in April, it will be five years since Kyler Murray entered the NFL. So if they end up with the top pick in the draft, and lo and behold, they're the only one-win team currently in the NFL, they might want a quarterback. They might not want Kyler Murray. Well, do we trade him? Like they're not the only one-win team well, in the NFL. How we... Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. The Panthers as well. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Miles. But, but, but it, just, it just feels that okay. way. It just feels like the Cardinals are the only one-win team in the NFL. Thank <laughs> you, though, for the Panthers, then. But You'll remember that the Panthers have one point win is this, when we see well, them on Thursday night against the Bears. On Thursday Sorry. night. Sorry. Yeah. I can't sell that one. I, I earned, eventually, my keep for the week by selling Raiders-Jets. First of all, Bezos doesn't pay me. Second of all, even if he did, there's no friggin' way I can sell what's coming on Thursday night. Um, but the Cardinals have to decide, are we keeping Kyler Murray or not? And if we're thinking about trading him... How do we get full value for Kyler Murray if he hasn't played in one year plus? Who's going to give us what we would want for Kyler Murray if all we have to go on is everything he did before he tore his ACL? That's the conundrum. And somebody pointed out last week, I think it was Shefty, that it's an organizational decision with Jonathan Gannon, with GM Monty Austin Ford, with others who are involved in the overall process up to and including the owner of the team. He's in the loop, in the loop. Yeah, you know why? 
because it's his money. And we understand what we're doing here. We're putting this guy in the field. We're running the risk. You know, with every game that he plays, he's going to have some sort of an injury, and we're stuck. We're stuck, and we got to keep him, and we got to pay him. I mean, we don't have to keep him, but we have to pay him. Right. And we'll regret that we ever put him on the field. That's why when Mike Lombardi said back before the season, he didn't think that Kyler Murray would play at all. And I can't remember how it was couched, but it was enough to say, hey, folks, there are business reasons for the Cardinals not to play him. And, of course, that gets twisted into you're reporting that Kyler Murray's not going to play this year. It's like, no, dumbass. What I'm saying is there are business reasons for the Cardinals to not put him on the field. And we are at that moment. We're at that moment. You could just tell when he touched that microphone. We're at that moment where this guy's healthy and I'm in the middle of all this because I got a player who's healthy and wants to play and I got an organization that's thinking maybe we shouldn't play him this year and the head coach is the one who's who's getting pulled in different directions and I think touching that microphone was a very subtle manifestation of the stress that he's dealing with as he's got a player who wants to play a team that desperately needs its best quarterback on the field. How do you justify Clayton Toon and 58 total yards? And I know Kyler Murray probably wouldn't have done much better, but they went to Cleveland and won a couple of years ago. Like there are guys on that locker in that locker room and on that, you know, there's like, why Kyler Murray's healthy. Why isn't he playing? So they, I don't think they can push this any longer. I think that Murray, number one, is healthy. And number two, if they don't play him this week, They'll, maybe there'll be another manifesto from his agent. Remember the manifesto from early yeah. last offseason, twenty twenty two. The 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 Ted the Ted Kaczynski manifesto from Eric Burkhart that you had to have a magnifying glass to read. Mm-hmm. I think if they don't play him this weekend, we're going to have manifesto part two. Well, absolutely, and frankly, I think at that point the manifesto would probably make sense. I mean, the the Cardinals have been listing Kyler Murray as a full participant on the on the injury report for a couple of weeks, and the reality is right now that they've either got to activate him or shut him down for the rest of the year because of the way the twenty one day practice window works. So, right, he was he's on the reserve, physically unable to perform list. That twenty one day practice window is about to run out. So either they are going to activate him to the roster or they're going to say, ah, I guess we're going with Clayton Toon for the rest of the year. And based on the way that Clayton Toon looked absolutely lost, and I don't want to blame him because guess what? He's a rookie fifth-round pick, so I can have the goalpost set in a very different spot than I would for a quarterback that was picked in, you know, at number two overall and in year three. If you're sending this guy out against the Cleveland Browns defense that we know is very good and he has absolutely no shot, then this is the result you're going to get. Oh. Right. This is exactly what was supposed to happen after you traded Josh Dobbs. One third down conversion, I think seven first downs in general and fewer than 60 total freaking yards. The lowest amount of total yards that a card the Cardinals have had in a game since the 1950s. All right. We're talking about before even you were born there, Mike. So this is a situation where if they are not going to activate Kyler Murray, then it's kind of like, are they tanking? What else can we conclude? Because I understand that there are businesses within there. But, like, dude, I mean, uh, what else can we look at and say here? And they could activate him and still not play him. That's the other side of this. Just because they're getting close to the point where they have to put him on the active roster, it doesn't mean they have to play him. But, but again, I think that they are running out of time from the standpoint of keeping Kyler Murray and or his agent from giving us another – 
one of these. We've got the manifesto. Great job by the control room pulling up the Ted Kaczynski oh. style. I mean, I, I mean, look, I, oh. I, 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 I there's got to be a way. I, uh, there's got to be a way to make your point without that. It doesn't well, have Mike- to look like a contract to buy, you know, a skyscraper. It's got. I it mean, it's got, just amazing. It oh, worked though. Well, he got his contract before they were dealing with the again. Cardinals. So maybe, maybe, maybe we need more manifestos like this. Although you know, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow no. didn't have that, and they also got contracts before the seasons. You, you know, their fourth season. So I don't know, but it's not like eventually it didn't work. In hindsight, I guarantee you that Michael Bidwell would tell you who he regrets giving him that contract. I mean, he got injured that same year, and that moment, that just the way they did it with the, the study clause. That was kind of the moment that that everybody started to notice. Everybody started to notice there's something wrong with the Cardinals. Like, like everything had been fine. They, they got to an NFC championship game with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. And you know, they, they, they were, they were fine. They were fine. And then once that happened, it's kind of like something's not right. Something's, something's not right with the Cardinals. And we started to notice more and more and more. And that's the other side of this too. It's a difficult situation for any team. This team has inherited the title of most dysfunctional in the NFL from the Houston Texans, as the Houston Texans win games with C.J. Stroud, which all gets back to the point as to why they're kind of in this mess right now that would cause Jonathan Gannon to you know, manifest his stress by touching the microphone while he's saying, like, they, can, they could get a franchise quarterback. They're in striking distance for a franchise quarterback that could maybe change everything. But wait, we had one that we paid like one a year and a half ago. I mean, this is a weird time for the Cardinals. A weird, weird time for the Cardinals. At some point, you just got to go play football. And if he gets injured and you owe him millions, sorry, Michael Bidwell, you'll get more than enough to offset that. You'll still be fine. Even if the team isn't good, you're still making a crap load of money. That's one of the benefits of owning a team in the NFL. You don't have to win a single game. You don't get relegated. You don't get kicked out of the league. You still get your piece. It's not dependent upon how well your team does. You still get 132nd of the national revenue, which is more than enough to make up for whatever you have to pay Kyler Murray, even if you didn't want to. Okay. Falcons. Is Desmond Ritter back? Is it Tyler Hennick? Taylor. Taylor. I'm so excited about this Cardinal situation. I can't get the name right. Taylor Heineke. Arthur Smith says it will be Taylor Heineke again. The soft benching of Desmond Ritter continues. It was so funny last week to see Arthur Smith kind of twist himself in knots. He doesn't want to say Desmond Ritter's benched, but he is benched. He is benched. He's benched. He's not injured. He's just benched. And he saw enough from Heineke. Look, Heineke did enough to win the game. Drove Mm -hmm. the Falcons down. For what would have been, could have been, should have been the game-winning touchdown against Minnesota. It was the defense that failed the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday when they had the game won 28-24. So Heineke did enough. He did a couple of Heineke things. Sometimes you get away with it. Sometimes you don't. He gets away with a lot of things that could have been turnovers. But... Uh, he had the interception, allowed the Vikings to take the 24-21 lead. There's that shot out of the cannon that made – that was the first moment where it's like, wow, the Falcons are going to win this game. They're going up eight points. And look at that. There's some nice throws. Dropped it in over the defender. I mean, Heineke played well enough to keep to keep going, even though they lost the game. Again, it wasn't him. And there's some promise there. There's something there. 
for a team that is now 4-4 four and four and still in the thick of things in the NFC South. Why not see what he can do this weekend? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they had no choice, in my opinion. Especially since they play continue. the Cardinals. Especially since right. they play the yes. Cardinals. Right, yeah. They've got they've got a get-right game right here on the schedule, you know? I mean, whether it's the Giants or, you know, the Panthers or whatever we want to call it, like, this is a potential get-right game that's on the schedule. And I think, like you said, Heineke played well enough to win, but also, when you look at what Desmond Ritter was not doing for that offense, when it comes to just being a competent pilot for it, getting the ball out to the talented skill players that we continue to talk about throughout the offseason... I mean, this is what you have to be able to do. Now, the defense has to be able to stop people better. You know, you should never allow a quarterback who just stepped foot into that building and, you know, receivers who had never caught passes from him to go down the field and score on you in that kind of situation. But, you know, I think at least for the Falcons offense, this is something that they have to do in order to still keep themselves afloat in the NFC South right now. And, you know, Arthur Smith said yesterday that it's not over for Dez, right? There, whatever, why we're doing the soft benching, I don't really understand. It's football. He's a professional. If you're benching him, just say it. But that's what they're doing. That's the approach that they're taking. And, and you know, Arthur Smith said that he'll reevaluate after the bye and they don't want to go week to week after the bye and all this different stuff. So we'll see what Heineke does. But I think that they are giving Heineke every chance right now to take this job and keep it. And I think that he's going to show enough on Sunday against the Cardinals that he will. Yeah, and and I agree with you. And this is a team that can still make it to the postseason. They could win the division, host the five seed, whoever it may be in the NFC, and 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 do something that would count as progress for Arthur Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, after Sunday's loss, people start asking me, is he on the hot seat? Is he on the hot seat? And the ultimate litmus test for quarter, for coaches is, for the most part, we see some coaches get fired after they get to the playoffs, but you get to the playoffs. Like for a guy that hasn't been there, getting a team right. there is the thing that will get you another season. And that's why when they expanded from 12 to 14 playoff teams, there were no complaints from anyone who coaches an NFL team because it just makes it more likely I'm going to get to the playoffs and save my own butt. And I think mm-hmm. Arthur Smith has a chance to do that. Better chance right now with Heineke than Ritter. Finally, yes, we mentioned the Vikings beating the Falcons. Josh Dobbs will start again. Week 10 against the Saints. I mean, it wasn't 100% clear because we saw Brock Purdy come back from a concussion in six days a couple of weeks ago. But Jaron Hall only had one drive to to make a case for himself. Josh Dobbs comes in four days after getting there and is spectacular and is the man of the moment, the story of the league, or at least one of them. I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible to see what he did. Yeah. Why would you not give him another game if he can play like that when he doesn't know what the hell is going on, and he knew enough, like he told me after the game, you know, I, I knew the I knew the plays that were in the game plan. And uh, and he made it happen. And, yeah, let's see what he can do with a full week, and let's see what the Vikings can do in the second act of this vibe that Kevin O'Connell tried to create last Monday, the day after Kirk Cousins was lost for the season. He made it clear. He views this as an opportunity. Not a test, not a challenge, not adversity. This is an opportunity. And I think that's why when they won that game, he slams off his headset in jubilation. You don't see that kind of emotion from Kevin O'Connell. It validated what he said last Monday. And anyone in that organization that was skeptical is now fully bought in. That's the momentum they take into this weekend's game against the Saints. And that's why it's a no-brainer that Josh Dobbs should get the start. 
certainly. Uh, the Pastronaut, as the NASA Glenn uh, Space Center dubbed him, you know, uh, recently. I-, I love that nickname. I think it's a great nickname. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of Baker Mayfield coming in last year for the Rams on Thursday night football, where it's like he barely has been in there. He comes in first drive. And then it's like, I mean, why in the world would we go to anybody else? You know, he showed that he could competently come in here and be a guy within this offense, does something special to win the game in the fourth quarter. I thought it was a brilliant performance by Dobbs, a brilliant coaching job by Kevin O'Connell and the rest of that offensive staff. And so, yeah, look, if the playoffs started today, which fortunately they do not, the Vikings would be in. They're five and four. They've got everything in front of them. And, you know, we've seen, you know, some cracks in the armor with Detroit. So who knows what's going to happen there, despite the fact that they only have two losses right now. But it's not like Minnesota was out of it by any means. You know, they're gone on a winning streak now. They have righted the ship. And I think it's going to be fun to see what Kevin O'Connell and Josh Dobbs can do within the next few weeks. Saints, Broncos, Bears, Raiders, all games the Vikings should at least be competitive in. Got a chance to win all of them. Maybe we'll win three of them. If they only win two of them, that'll be a disappointment. And then they go to Cincinnati. So they've got four games that are winnable before they they have a, a return engagement with Joe Burrow. Uh, that was actually the first game of the 2021 season. Vikings went to Cincinnati and lost, and we eventually realized that the Bengals were pretty damn good. All right, let's take a break. Speaking of the Bengals, we're going to take a look at the tight race in the AFC North and more with a game of which doesn't belong and why. That's next here on PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I think it's really, really awesome that we have such a great uh, division, and I'd, I'd, I'd really be disappointed if we didn't. You know, it'd be just terrible if everybody was not a good team in our division. So, you know, <laughs> uh, that's my best answer. You know, hey, we respect these teams. This is a great division. I mean, there's no doubt. It's the best division. It's proven. We know the teams. You know, these teams are real. You know, we we 
When you're in this division, you got to play them twice a year. You understand them. It's not just this year. So we understand that. Uh, they all understand it, you know, and everybody knows what, what's, what's going to happen when we all play each other. I remember a time, I believe the year was 1989, that through nine games, all four teams of the old AFC Central, the Steelers, Browns, Bengals, and Oilers, were four and five. Now... They're all above 500. Of course, we've got the Browns, Steelers, Browns, and Bengals in this constitution of the AFC North. Browns 1.0, Browns 2.0. Browns 1.0. Yes, I did. Browns 1.0 are seven. (laughs) Go ahead and say it, Miles. Browns 1.0 are seven and two (laughs) and leading the way. The other three teams. The, the other three teams are five and three. It really is amazing. Two games over 500 are the Steelers are the Browns 2.0 and the Bengals. And who knows which way this is going to go. And let's start off today's game, of which doesn't belong in why, with three teams of the AFC North that aren't the 7-2 and two Ravens. Steelers, Browns, Bengals, each 5-3, and three, which doesn't belong and why. I'm going to go with the Bengals do not belong. And it's because, and I say this with all due respect to Baltimore, who I, I think is playing extremely good football right now, But the Bengals are either going to win the AFC North or they are very narrowly going to lose it. This is what happens with the Bengals. We've seen it the last couple years. Maybe they get off to a slow start, but then they start to find themselves, right? And, you know, last year, Joe Burrow had the appendix. This year, he had the calf. Joe Burrow is healthy. Joe Burrow is finding dudes. He is making plays. T. Higgins stepped up big time on Sunday night exactly when they needed him because the Bills did a decent job of taking away Jamar Chase. But oh, by the way, there's number five, and here he is making plays, making plays, making plays. You can see right here how comfortable Joe Burrow is now making plays with his legs again. I thought that Cincinnati was going to be one of the best teams in football. With a healthy Joe Burrow, they are. And I think that the Bengals are going to end up somehow, some way in the AFC Championship game again. Oh, that's right. And if it's the Chiefs, they could very well beat them and head back to the Super Bowl. I'm going to say the Steelers, though. And this is where I'm going to agree with Chris Sims reluctantly. As exciting as it is to watch the Steelers get outgained every single week, and they have, and still win more than half of their games, it's not sustainable when the postseason rolls around because they're not going to win the division. I'd be stunned if they do. They're not going to have home playoff games. They're not going to hear, oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life. They're not going to, there's going to be no renegade moment that carries them over the top on a day they're being outplayed. It just isn't going to happen for them. So they'll make it to the playoffs potentially. I'd say of the three, five, and three teams in the AFC North, they're the least likely to make it because they just can't keep pulling rabbits out of their hat or elsewhere. But once they get there, as Chris says, they screw up the playoff field because they'll play the two seed, get stomped, and that's it. And if it doesn't happen then, it'll happen the divisional round. Like, they are a blowout waiting to happen. And when you get into the postseason where all the best teams are congregated, the blowout is inevitable. You're not going to run the table to the Super Bowl and win it. And as I say that, I am very aware of the fact that there's a chance, slim as it may be, that they're going to be playing this bleepity bleep clip the weekend before the Steelers play the Eagles in the All-Pennsylvania Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't really see that happening. I mean, and it's funny, Mike, because you said that the Steelers are probably the least likely. I would almost say the Browns because I, as good as that defense is, and I do think that defense is excellent, 
I just have so many questions about what they're doing on offense and if Deshaun Watson can maintain any level of consistency. And I give the Steelers the benefit of the doubt in some way because they've had that football program running there for over a decade with Mike Tomlin, right? So I think that they can certainly make it to the postseason. And there's certainly an argument that the Browns can make it to the postseason too, but I just... My my Deshaun Watson meter is just so topsy-turvy. I don't, I don't really know what to expect play to play, let alone week to week, that I don't know if I can rely on that particular team to be there when it counts in January. I did pick the Steelers to make it to the AFC Championship before the season started. I just remembered that the other day. You kind of forget about that because we just do it because we're supposed to. Because that's, oh, you cover the NFL. you got to make these predictions that nobody cares about and everybody's going to forget about. And even if you're right, nobody cares because everybody knows you're just throwing a dart and you're hoping that it hits you know, the wall that the board is on. But uh, I, I can't see the Steelers make it to the AFC Championship. And I think the Browns, if they could stabilize their offense, Browns 2.0 could, could be a, a real factor in the postseason field. Maybe it'll be Browns 2.0 versus Browns 1.0 for a berth in the Super Bowl. That Just would be something. Speaking of Browns 1.0, the Ravens, Chiefs, and Jaguars. Ravens, Chiefs, Jaguars. All two loss AFC teams, which doesn't belong and why? I'm going to go with the Chiefs because I think that, A, the Chiefs are better, but also they're not playing even close to what their best football should be, especially offensively, right? The, the Chiefs are good. We know that they're good. They have been, their floor, excuse me, with Patrick Mahomes has been losing in overtime of the AFC championship game at home, right? They've never even played a road playoff game with Patrick Mahomes. So they're, they get the benefit of the doubt. But they've not played anywhere close to what they need to on a week-to-week basis on offense. And I'm not really sure why, but they need to use this bye week in order to figure it out. Because I, I, I just, I don't know what else that there needs to do, uh, that they need to do, I should say, in order to get that connection there between Mahomes and his receivers, between the running game and the passing game and all that. But they've got to do some work to get it corrected because I think the Ravens are playing great football. I think the Jaguars have played great football since they lost to the Chiefs, right? So those teams are on the rise. But the Chiefs right now, they're kind of like teetering, especially offensively. And you're just kind of like, wait a minute. This team should be better than what it is with Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to say the Jaguars because – and when Peter King did his preseason predictions, he made the Jaguars the one seed in the AFC. For one reason, not only one reason, but there was an important reason. Their schedule is favorable. It's conducive. Mm -hmm. And when you look at their five straight wins, there's no Chiefs, there's no Ravens, there's no Lions, there's no elite team, no Cowboys, no Eagles, no 49ers among them. They get the 49ers this weekend. A salty 49ers team that has lost three in a row. Both teams will have had two weeks to get ready for it. If the Jaguars win this one, then, then... They belong in the conversation of the elite, and I've had them at number two in the power rankings. They may here's a little here's a little they may they may they may get they may get dropped this week even though they didn't play. I may have to I may have to move oh, man. Uh, the Ravens to number two. I may have oh. to put the Ravens at number two. I mean, look at what the Ravens did: thirty eight six over the Lions, thirty seven to three over the Seahawks. The the Ravens are a force i i guess i should have said they don't belong and why because when i look at those three teams there's one that screams out super bowl contender right now and it's the ravens although with the chiefs you know how it goes with the chiefs 
They'll find their footing. They'll find their groove. They'll make it work. And when it's time to play win-or-go-home games, Patrick Mahomes is the new Tom Brady who thrives in those moments and draws on his experience and doesn't get freaked out when the guys on the other team do because for them it's the first time. For them, they haven't been doing it. For them, they don't have the experience, and that's the thing that provides that edge that lets the Chiefs come back from 10 points down in the second half of the Super Bowl as they've done twice in the last five years. Here's the other thing about the Ravens, Mike, and I don't like to be this guy about Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson has not played a full season in two years, right? So I I don't want to think like, oh man, is the other shoe going to drop? But he hasn't played in December or January over the last two years, 12 games over the last two years, then has has finished the season with an injury. So I, I want to see Lamar Jackson stay healthy. I want to see Lamar Jackson play meaningful games in December and January this year. I think that if they get there, then they're going to make noise. But let's see if he gets there first, because that's the only kind of cautionary thing that's going through my mind when it comes to Baltimore. One of the awkward aspects of covering the NFL and talking about these things on a regular basis, we know injuries happen. If you specifically link a healthy player to a potential injury, people get mad. You jinxed him. Don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. But it can happen. And history can be our guide. And what happened in December of 2021? What happened in December of 2022? You've got to make it the full season. You've got to be healthy when January rolls around. And we're seeing quarterbacks dropping left and right for all the efforts of the NFL to look the other way on intentional grounding and throw the flag whenever they have to for roughing the passer. They still can't keep the quarterbacks healthy. So when you're a guy who's still running in that new offense with Todd Monk and he's still running, all it takes is one. You know, let, let me say this. We got to take a break. But I think the Bleacher Report, one of the Bleacher Report accounts said Tua made a business decision on Sunday because there was a block that he didn't deliver. That's brilliant by the quarterback. They have to resist their urge to go out there and engage in the physicality. It's a simple, and if we want to get caught up in analytics, here's the, the most basic analytics I can give you. The more times you hit someone, the greater the chance that they're going to get injured. At some point, statistically, the more if you if they're hit zero times, they're not getting injured. If they're hit and they're hit and they're hit, and you're taking those hits when you don't need to, you're going to get yourself injured. It was brilliant. It's not a business decision, in a in a derisive way. It's a smart business decision. It's a football business decision. He'll be in the business of playing football if he does things like that. And oh, by the way, what he did worked. He redirected yeah. the Chiefs player without getting hit. So that's how you stay healthy. That's how you avoid the December injury bug that turns a promising team season on its head. Yes, 100%. And that's what I was going to say. You know, we can, you know, shide him for whatever technique he used there, but it's not like the technique didn't work. So if we're going to say, oh, he made a business decision, that's a good decision, right? Let's stay available when you're a quarterback because your best ability is availability. I remember when he threw an interception in a preseason game against the Bears, I believe, and he went and made the tackle. And Brian Flores, who was the coach at the time, applauded him. And it's, number one, it's a preseason game. And number two, even if it is a regular season game, unless it's Ben Roethlisberger trying to make the tackle on the guy who recovered the fumble that Jerome Bettis had at the goal line to save the season, anything other than that, when you're a quarterback and there's a turnover, just take a seat. 
Get out get of out it. Out of the way. Don't yeah. put yourself in a position where you can get blown up because the turnover affects this drive in this game. The injury affects the rest of the season. And I don't understand why that's not just obvious. It shouldn't even be a subject for debate. It should be obvious. Quarterback, get down. Protect yourself against a free shot. Free shot at the quarterback. Let's not give him a free shot. Let's sit down. All right, we're going to stand down for a few minutes. When we return, could the Buffalo Bills be making a change at play caller offensively? We'll hear from Sean McDermott, the head coach of the team, next here on PFT Live. Will there be any change in Ken Dorsey's status? No. Have you considered that at all? No. Well, I get it. I, I understand everyone's frustration. Um, I, I absolutely do. And, and um, you know, we're working extremely hard to uh, to make the adjustments we have to make. And, and Ken is, is doing the same. So uh, I remain confident in Ken and our offensive staff. And we continue to work hard at improving, um, getting the results for all of them. Well, you know, it's refreshing to see that someone who was asked simple yes or no questions yesterday was actually able to answer them with yes or no and not some irrelevant soliloquy on the back end. It's good to know that humans are capable of answering what I'm just I'm not all I'm saying is it's good to see as a former lawyer. It's good to see whenever someone who is asked a simple yes or no question gives you the yes or the no and doesn't tack on a bunch of verbal diarrhea on the back end that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying uh-huh. so yeah sean mcdermott on on uh, sean i what uh, miles i don't know what you're i don't know what you're referring to sean mcdermott makes it clear that ken dorsey will continue to be the offensive coordinator and there was a 25 minute press conference after that with dorsey and i watched that thing twice which i'm not proud to say i watched oh, it twice right. but i was looking for something I was looking for anything to make me think that Dorsey understands what the problem is and that he has a plan for solving it. It was just coach speak, coach speak, coach speak, coach speak. Very good questions from the Bills media. Very respectful, but pointed, aimed at getting to the heart of the problem, which is no rhythm, no identity, no flow, no consistency. It's just, hey, Josh, Go out there and score 14 points with one fling of the ball. And Dorsey's the problem. I'm sorry. This is big boy football. This is the highest end of the sport. We know how this goes. You step into these jobs, you perform, or you don't. And a certain percentage do, and a certain percentage don't. And for those who don't, what happens is you move on to your next position somewhere in the broader NFL or college ecosystem. Dorsey's not getting it done. And this, is, this all goes back to my belief. And I know they hired Sean McDermott before they got Josh Allen. But when you have franchise quarterback, you need offensive coach. Because when it goes well, if you have defensive coach, offensive coordinator, everything works. Offensive coordinator becomes a head coach somewhere else. And then you got to find somebody else. And the corollary is, and I said this yesterday, it also works for offensive coaches with good defensive coordinators. Robert Sala, wow, great. Goes and becomes a head coach. D'Amico Ryans, great. Goes and becomes a head coach. Eventually, you're going to get somebody that isn't as good as the parade of future head coaches. And you're going to have to deal with it. And right now, with Steve Wilkes, you know, they're, they're dealing with some stuff there with that defense. Well documented a couple of weeks ago with that blitz before halftime in the Vikings game. So my point is, and when do you say 
Dorsey just didn't answer. When do you admit that? When when do you come to that conclusion that this is the problem? He's got Josh Allen. He's not designing plays, calling plays, running the offense in a way that is getting the most out of it. And I think the big the bigger issue in Buffalo is is it the personnel or is it the coaching? It's got to be one. Maybe it's some of both. But McDermott, he's not responsible for the offense. Dorsey is. The offense isn't working. They're still searching for an identity in November. I, I'm sorry, but sometimes, you know, usually it's coordinator becomes a coach. And that's where you hit the point where you get the job that you're not skilled to properly do. Position coach coordinator is another level where it can happen. And maybe that's what's happening with Ken Dorsey. And that's okay. It's okay. It's not to be ashamed of. It just is what it is. But if you keep banging your head against the wall, as I said yesterday, it becomes a cyclone of insanity. And that's what I feel like the Bills are in the middle of. I didn't see you say that yesterday. I kind of love that phrase, cyclone of insanity. I I think the other issue here, Mike, is... Came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. It came out of a cyclone of insanity that resides in my skull. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's actually part of why I like it, because that's the new phrase that I can use to describe you. Um, But (laughs) the thing about the Bills right now in their offense is that this really is an off-season problem, right? When you're talking about changing coordinators or changing an offense and making it more fluid, more dynamic, more something that you can see where on a play-to-play basis, there is some structure to it. That's an off-season issue because right now the only thing that you can really do is turn to somebody else who's already on staff that can basically change a little bit of things in the playbook to make it that they would actually do. So if you're going to get rid of Ken Dorsey right now, who are you going to turn to on that offensive staff? Joe Brady? I mean, you know, he at least has experience calling plays, be it for LSU or for the Carolina Panthers, but it's not like – the Carolina Panthers thing went all that well. Now, that's also a personnel and Matt Rule issue that we don't really need to go into, but I, I think that offense right now has to just Smock him if go you got him. through Ken Dorsey, and you have to be able to make it so that, I don't know, something is more fluid and something's more dynamic. And whether that is just letting Josh Allen go into effort mode earlier on, you know, using more tempo, you know, which they said that they didn't necessarily want to do uh, against the Bengals defense. I don't know, but they have to do something right now and look internally and say, okay, this is what we can do to get ourselves back on track. I I don't know what it needs to be, but you can't solve all of this right now in the middle of the season, just because of the way it works. Oh, and I agree with you, and I'm not saying he should be fired now, but the point is the storm clouds are gathering, and we see where this is going. And as you were saying that, I was sitting here asking myself, who was the coach that scapegoated an assistant last year? Who? What? Oh, it was Sean oh. McDermott with Leslie Frazier. So Talk when the season ends, and it's time to defend your job to the boss, to the one who signs the checks, you just say – we need a different direction offensively. We've got a great quarterback. We need a different coordinator. And you hope that the boss doesn't say, you know what? Why don't we just get a new coach instead? That's where this is going, where the mm-hmm. Bills are right now. You look at their upcoming schedule, and Josh Allen is particularly aware of this. We played the sound yesterday. He knows what the schedule yeah. consists of. He knows that they're getting closer and closer to, uh-oh, you're not going to get to the playoffs. 
you've lost too many games. They've already lost four. They've got three more games coming up that could be losses. The way this team is playing should be losses. 10 and 7, best case scenario, that may get you in. 9 and 8, it's still it's still hard to know with 17 games. But it used to be 10 and 6 was the even at 10 and 6 sometimes you didn't get in. So, uh we'll see how it goes. But I'm not saying Dorsey should be fired now. I'm trying to think about what's coming and what's coming at the end of the season is some intrigue in Buffalo. By the way, my first thought, let's see how well you know me and how well I know you. Okay. When you said that you can refer to me going forward and my brain and the way I operate a cyclone of insanity, what was my reaction to that that I didn't say? Uh, bleep you? I don't know. No? I don't think about you at all. See? Uh, that's good. See? It's pretty good. See? I do Your favorite that. line? Your favorite it line? From, favorite. Yeah. It's one of Your my favorite favorites. Line. It's rubbed off on me. I, I don't like think it. about you at all. And that's what the yeah. money is for. There you go. <laughs> uh, we need to take a break. That's what the money is for. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Got everything on social media. Just like you guys. Because, um, you know, I'm just playing my game and it happened. I wasn't mad. <laughs> it's like, nah, nah um, you know, Nick, Nick is here. Um, you know, always been a big brother to me. Um, even at Ohio State, um, you know, I'm um, just stepping in here for, you know, today, um, got in here last week, um, just the culture, um, the vibe, um, is a lot different, um, you know, I, I definitely know that I'm, 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 I'm in the build with winners. It's amazing, but it isn't how some teams deal with trading players because they're all interchangeable parts of a giant football machine that has operated for decades without them and will operate for decades ostensibly without them moving forward. You pull the piece out, you cast it aside, and you move on. And for some of these teams, like when Rasul Douglas found out he was being traded by the the Packers, Brian Gutekunst called him up, short conversation, hung up the phone, he thought it was a joke. He didn't realize it was real until Mark Murphy called back with a longer conversation. Chase Young didn't even get that. He finds out on social media he's been traded to the 49ers. Once they're done with you, Miles, they're just done with you. The only exception I saw this year was when the Giants traded Leonard Williams. They actually worked with him, talked to him, you know, got his input before they traded him to the Seahawks. Usually it's, all right, this piece, this piece, we're moving this piece Somewhere else for other pieces, this piece is dead to us now. It's gone. Out of the machine, gone. We'll worry about the pieces that are in the machine. And it's it's disappointing, but it's just kind of the way it's always been. I, I, I find it extremely disappointing and dehumanizing when you find out that your entire life is moving across the country. Like, you cannot be almost farther than Washington, D.C. or Maryland, wherever it is that, you know, the – the practice facility is um, for the Washington franchise. And then San Francisco, I mean, like we're talking opposite ends of the country and you got to pack up and move your entire life out there. And you don't even hear that from your organization. You hear it from social yeah. media. I, I, I find that to be very, very disappointing. And I don't know exactly what the circumstances were that surrounded that, but that's just really disappointing to hear. And this is where emotional intelligence comes into play. And this is where I have a ton of respect for coaches like Mike McDaniel and Kevin O'Connell. I don't see them handling their players that way. 
Yeah. I just think it comes down to basic respect and regard for the fact that this team, even though you can get desensitized to the fact that they are human beings, they each have their own story, they each have their own circumstances, they each have their own stresses and pressures and realities of life, because you're in this constant practice of this guy's gone, this guy's gone, this guy's gone, it's sad that some people just lose their ability to appreciate the humanity of all of it. And every year you got 90 guys that get trimmed to 53, and yeah, some of them stick around, but there's a cluster of guys on every team that are just gone for good. And that's that. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot to continue to be a human being through all of it and to understand. Because the more you're sensitive to the fact that you're dealing with human beings, the more upset you can get. You carry around real, real emotions instead of just being unfeeling about it, kind of like how Belichick is. I don't want to get too close to any of these guys because I'm going to have to cut them one of these days. There's a sweet spot there where you treat your players as human beings and it doesn't affect you personally when you have to move on from them. And maybe one of the reasons it doesn't affect you is because you handled it the right way. You know, yeah. they're, they're grown-ups. They understand. But at least you have the conversation. You tell them. You explain the why to them. You take that five minutes out of your busy day and treat a human being like a human being. That's all right. We've got to take a break, Miles. Um, we're gonna, when we return, we're going to do something we were going to do last. We get fits better this week, though, because we're halfway through the season. Who are the MVP candidates with half of the season sort of over? We'll do that next year on PFT Live. There are the odds from DraftKings Sportsbook, the MVP candidates as it currently stands. As I said earlier, when we get to the end of the season, you have a pretty good idea of who deserves it. Who do you have a pretty good idea as of right now would deserve it, Miles, based upon half of the season? I'll give you the first pick for the MVP, top MVP candidates through half of 2023. Well, it, frankly, it's somebody that wasn't even on that list from the odds makers at DraftKings, and it's A.J. Brown. I think he has been the best player on what's been the best team in football so far this year. The only one loss team that is still exists right now in the 2023 NFL season. I mean, he has a thousand and five yards and six touchdowns, and that is a good season for most receivers, and he's done it in nine games, had a string of six straight games with at least 125 yards receiving. I mean, still had seven for 65 in this last one that they just had over the Dallas Cowboys. But I think when you look at that offense, Jalen Hurts is playing well, but he's not playing as well as he did last season. I don't know that he really truly is at an MVP caliber level right now. I think he certainly could get there by the end of the season. But as we stand right now, I would give it to A.J. Brown over anybody else on the Eagles, Mike. I made that case last week in an item at PFT. A.J. Brown, just like with Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill in the AFC with the yeah. Dolphins. And if the Dolphins are the one seed, it's got to be one of those two guys as the lead finalist from that team. Because it's... One of the guys, typically, unless somebody sets an all-time single-season statistical record, it's going to be somebody from the one seed in the AFC or the NFC. So Tyree Killer Tua, Dolphins, if they emerge with the one seed, A.J. Brown or Jalen Hurts, if the Eagles emerge with the one seed in the NFC. And I'd lean A.J. Brown right now. I know his streak of consecutive 125-yard or more games ended last week, but he still had a touchdown. He was still a key component in that win over the Dallas Cowboys. And Hurts has been banged up. 
A.J. Brown has been more effective this year. So I, I don't disagree with you at all. Although right now, right now, when you look at the best teams in the NFL and you look at what the Ravens have done to the Lions and the Seahawks, I put Lamar Jackson up there. He's already won it before 2019. It's been four years ago. But with this new offense, he is playing at that level. And I would go Lamar Jackson as of right now. And if the Ravens end up with a one seed in the AFC, it'll be Lamar Jackson or insert proper name of the lead finalist from the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah, I I agree with you about Lamar Jackson. He was also on my list next. And he's leading the league right now with a 71.5% completion rate. That's not something that we've really seen from Lamar Jackson before, and I think it speaks to some of the changes that Todd Munkin has made within that offense. But he's still rushing the ball, right? He's still he's still gone for 440 yards and five touchdowns there. So the Ravens still have that good running attack. Lamar Jackson is at the center of all of it. And so next on my list actually is going to be somebody that Lamar Jackson just beat the brakes off of a couple weeks ago. But it's Jared Goff. And, you know, we talk about teams that could be in the mix for number one seeds. Who knows what's going to happen with Philadelphia? But right now, Jared Goff is playing some of the best football, if not the best football of his career. And I was witness to those two years that he had with the Rams and Sean McVay in 17 and 18 that were terrific. I mean, he's completing a career high 68.3% of his passes. You know, he's got 20 over 2,100 yards right now, 12 touchdowns, five interceptions. You did have the clunker at ball more but that's gonna happen over the course of a 17 game season and Mike right now I don't know that any quarterback in the NFC is playing better than Jared Goff so put him in the MVP race well and if they get the one seed in the NFC which is entirely possible I spoke yesterday with Aiden Hutchinson about that they're aware of the value of the one seed and the possibility they could get it Goff becomes the the most obvious MVP candidate from the Lions if that occurs. Right. The next one is difficult for me because I got to say Patrick Mahomes, even though the Chiefs offense hasn't been spectacular. The Chiefs are still one of the best teams in football. And Mahomes is still Mahomes. And he makes the throws when he needs to make them. They get the points when they need to have them. They've won the games. They're in position. And he's Mahomes. You know, at the end of the day, 50 human beings vote on these. And it's hard to get past the fact that Mahomes is Mahomes. If they get the one seed, Mahomes is the candidate. And that's one of the reasons why he's one of the favorites right now. At plus 350, he's Mahomes. All right, let's take a break. We'll do one more round when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live concludes. Oh, wait a minute. Before I get there. I've been reminded, as I often do, that I've forgotten the promo. Don't forget, as I just did, on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 in pocket, $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat, same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLive when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. Round three is ours when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, there are the selections so far, the MVP candidates through week nine. Miles, give me your third one. 
I'm going to go with Tua Tungavailoa. And, you know, you were mentioning, you know, it would probably be, be either between Tungavailoa or Tyree Kill. I'm going to lean Tungavailoa for a couple of reasons. And he leads the league right now in passing yards, just over 2,600. He's got 19 touchdowns. That leads the league. And also, he has the top pass rating at 106.4. So those things, I think, speak to how well he's played within that offense. Now, they don't really have the signature win. But if we're going to talk about MVP candidates, and the Miami Dolphins get to one of the top two seeds, let's say, in the AFC, then it's going to be a lot because Tungavailoa got them there. So that's the guy I would go with. And it's going to be a, a conversation. It's going to be a debate. It's going to be a discussion between him and Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Because Tyreek Hill arguably means more to that offense than Tua Tungavailoa does. And we saw Tua... On Sunday, a couple of rough plays with the game on the line. That throw that badly missed the mark, and then he couldn't handle the snap when he saw the blitz coming. Those are things that will all add up. I, I'm i struggling here because I think Joe Burrow is going to be a viable MVP candidate, but based mm-hmm. on the first half of the season, no, because he was injured for the first part. How about Trevor Lawrence? He's at 20-1 to 1 okay. on the DraftKings Sportsbook odds because they're in position to get the one seed. He'd be the candidate from the Jaguars to be the MVP if they get the one seed. The schedule has been soft. It gets a little rockier this weekend against the Jaguars, but I mean against the 49ers, not against the Jaguars. Jaguars playing the 49ers, but Trevor Lawrence, for the same reasons you said with Jared Goff, I think Trevor Lawrence, if it was, this would be interesting. Lions one seed, Jaguars one seed. Who gets more votes between Lawrence and Goff? That would be fascinating to see that play out. That would be fascinating. I think it would probably be Lawrence just based on the reputation that Jared Goff has, unless he is playing just extraordinarily good football toward the end of the season. I think Lawrence would get that nod. Is one of the factors in giving out the MVP award having hands large enough to lift the trophy? Is that one of the factors? Because then that would affect what? Just playing. Enjoy your day. Thanks, Miles. See you, everybody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.